Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop, and we spent five seasons of Loose Units, the podcast, talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads, because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Last week, we dealt with the beginnings of the Snowtown murders. Specifically, we looked at Snowtown as a location and what the murders did to the populace of the town. Now, if you haven't already listened to that, we recommend going back and listening to part one because this week, we're looking at the crimes. Dad, you have found the court transcript. Could you walk us through the case for the Crown? Paul, I can. So, in this particular case, the Crown, their case is that the murders were committed as part of a joint enterprise between the accused, which had its object or common purpose, the killing of persons it was considered appropriate or necessary to kill. The Crown allege that the enterprise began with the intention of killing persons believed to be pedophiles, but... And here's the critical point, Paul. But developed to encompass others, it was considered appropriate to kill for varying reasons. And that is a sort of an overview of the case as put down by the Crown. So it's a classic, classic case. Today we're talking about the actual victims of these murders. So not just... Last week we looked at Snowtown as a place and this week we're looking at the victims and all of these people are real people who died under terrifying circumstances. Looked at, I would like you to run through for me the victims chronologically because the fact is rarely has there been a crime that we've looked at that has had such a high and such a specifically cruel body count. The victims numbered... 12, is that correct? 12 mm, people. Mm, yeah. And the first was killed at 22 years old, mm. and it was the 31st of August, 1992. Clinton Trezise, could you walk us through 
the Snowtown Killer's first victim. That we know of. That we know of, yes. And as we're doing this, I'm also acutely aware yep. that um, these people are still alive, the, the, the offenders. Yes, all four of them are still alive in prison. Mm. Yeah. And that's disturbing. So Clinton Trezise, he was 22 years of age. Mm-hmm. The opinion of the offenders was he was a pedophile. What they did, they lured him. So on, on, a, on his fateful day, they lure him to Bunting's house. And ostensibly just, it's a social visit. Just quickly, this is John Bunting, just to be clear. This is John Bunting, who was the, the primary perpetrator in these murders. Mm. When you say they, we're dealing with multiple people here, aren't we? There are four offenders. Yes. So we've got John Justin Bunting. Yes. We've got Robert Joe Wagner. We have James Vlasakis mm-hmm. and Mark Hayden. Okay. Now, Mark Hayden was convicted for helping to get rid of the bodies. Mm. Was he actually involved in the murders themselves? He was, I mean, I feel like he was sort of along for the ride. But, I mean, when we talk about Bunting, Bunting is the main bad guy here. Yeah, he's the, he's the guy that has been described by many people as being somewhat of a, I guess, a chameleon. Um, certainly smart. But he um, basically coerced these people not coerced because the fact is they did it over their own free will but mm. he created a he ran this whole show mm. and was the chief perpetrator of these murders and at this point the first victim clinton who was 22 years of age who yeah. was who they regarded the you know the let's let's refer to the group as i'm going to refer to them as the crew they were vigilantes well let's just yeah i mean i've heard that bunting in his, uh, in his house, in his spare room, mm. you've all seen things like True Detective where, you know, they open the roller door and you see a what's called a rock spider wall, which mm. is a map or kind of a grid of photos and pieces of string between them, mm. a kind of case that they have built up to track down things. And in the case of Bunting, mm. he was using these handwritten notes and string and whatnot to create a a web of people that he thought were pedophiles or homosexuals or things that he deemed, you know, worthy of getting killed. And then he would pick someone from the name mm. and then he would basically sick his group on them. Mm. And the first group, the first person to, to feel his wrath was, was Clinton. Mm. But Paul, I think it's really important. You've, you've mentioned this, this spider web yeah. of, and it's, have you seen, you've seen photos of it? No, I haven't oh, seen photos God. of it's it. It's so... It's it's fascinating. And it's so... It's kind of like having a massive whiteboard... Yeah. ...that took up basically a whole wall in Bunting's house. But the thing is, without sort of getting too far ahead of ourselves, one of his... I, I guess in terms of badness, there was Bunting, but then his sort of 2IC, I guess comparing with, say, Hitler, and you'd have, you know, Goering, Goebbels, all his sort of, you know, super high-ranking scum. There was this guy, Robert Joe Wagner. But Wagner, Mm. he had been in a relationship with Lane, a transvestite who used to, you know, dress in drag. But the, the kind of the genesis of this whole 
terrible story is Bunting's ability to collect information, as would the police or any military organisation do. They 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 collect intelligence. Mm-hmm. Bunting would collect the intelligence through Lane, and they would have meetings. And the, you know, I guess we all call Robert Wagner Bunting's right hand man. They would get together and they used Lane as a source of information to elicit the details of known pedophiles within that area. So that would then enable Bunting to create this fantastic and fairly complex web that was a physical um, sort of manifestation of all the leads, the clues. So you can imagine like a spider web. Yeah invariably as in real life Mm. people get trapped in that web now once you're in the web you're fucked so they used vanessa lane to fish in the community and build up a list of people that they fully intended to to kill correct right yeah so clinton is the first one to suffer their wrath and clinton wasn't found for two years no Clinton was killed in 1992 and found on the 16th of August, 1994. How did the murder actually take place? Now, typically speaking, the first murder in a string of serial killings is, it's, I mean, much like any body of work, it is a, it's an early iteration of what happens later. And what well, it's they, the they, earliest. Yeah, you're right, Paul. It's the earliest that we know of. That's what always worries me about these, these stories. Sure. Okay. I, one, one, can one assume that... The the judiciary has got all of the victims because there is a very interesting catch to this whole story and that is something that happened prior to what we're talking about. We are using Clinton as the number one, the first, mm. but that's yep. actually not the case. There was another case prior to, but that was thrown out of court. And it's kind of weird, but we will we will get to that later on, not not in this episode. But it's, so there were things happening in the past, and then I was doing some research. So basically, they they lure Clinton to Bunting's house, and imagine the scene. And we need to use um, our imaginations because I was discussing with you yesterday, Paul, off air, and I said to you, "Are you aware of these situations in the in law where you have these?" Um, Prohibition notices. These these orders by the court. Where you where, can't actually... Yeah, so after the court case, there are certain things, like a gag order. You can't, correct, correct. Certain details will never be Never ever to, to be released. <clears throat> now, Paul, do well, you recall what, the number I said to you yesterday? Oh, shit, it was high. More was than it? 250 ha- um, orders yeah. that have, 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 will, will never be released to the public. So given the graphic nature of what we do know, I, I shudder to think at how bad it got. Well, it just, it's just terrible. So they, yeah. in, in, in essence, and it's premeditated, yeah. so at some place in that room, Bunting had a shovel. And a shovel is a sharp, bladed instrument with a wooden handle. We all know what a shovel is. And Clinton's um, invited in on, you know, for just, just, just a social visit. Social right? visit. And yeah. he, he more than likely... Bearing in mind I was not there, but the way I see it is that he would have been struck, I imagine, I'm not privy to the post-mortem, 
results, but I imagine he was struck from behind at first. Mm. Yeah. So it would have been a surprise blow, and they basically stoved his head in with a shovel. Now, because they thought he was what? A pedophile. Okay. So they'd sort of... So they'd settled on him as needing to be killed because they thought he was a pedophile, or they said they thought he was a pedophile. Mm. And so they lure him into the house, they kill him with a shovel, he's Mm. 22 years old, Mm. and then what do they do? Because I know the body was, as we established, found in lower light in 1994. At this point, I don't believe they connected him to Bunting, and I read somewhere that there were two episodes of Australia's Most Wanted that talked about the unsolved murder Mm, mm, of Clinton. mm. So it was only later that they actually connected them. But, I mean, where was... So apparently he was, yeah, found in a shallow grave in an area called Lower Light in South Australia that was on the 16th of August, 1994. Mm. At this point, people who aren't familiar with the chronology are probably thinking, hey, but isn't this about bodies in barrels? Yeah, but at this point, they've buried him in a shallow grave and he's Mm. not... You know, so this this is the first victim and they haven't actually started moving the bodies over to Snowtown yet. So at this point, it's it's just a terrible, terrible crime that's happened. How long was it before the next murder? I, it was a couple of years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 95, the 25th of December right. to, the, to the 21st of January. So late 95, early 96. The guy's name was Ray Allen Peter Davies. Right. Now, he was... he. This is an interesting story, if you can sort of use that, that term. But mm. he was intellectually disabled, okay? Which Mm. is a little bit of a thread going through some of these victims. And he lived in a caravan in the rear yard of a home owned by Suzanne Allen. And Suzanne Allen (laughs) was the the ex-lover. Yes, that's John Bunting's ex, yeah? Yes. Okay. it's... um, what happened was Suzanne told Bunting yeah. that Ray Davies had molested her grandsons. Okay? Right. So then Bunting and the crew, yeah. they then murder. Okay? And Davies murder. is living in a, yeah, he's living in a caravan parked out the back. Of Suzanne's house, so they know where he is, mm. and they've added him to the rock spider wall mm. in the spare room. Mm. And I mean, it's it's, it's just, it just based on an allegation. It's a, yeah, it's, 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 it's. I mean, do, okay. First of all, at this point, do you think Suzanne knew? And was, do you think Suzanne knew what Bunting had done no. to to the first victim? Okay, right. So Suzanne maybe drops the fact that she thinks that Davies has come on to her grandkids which is you know i mean i mean looking at i'm first of all i've got the i've got photos of all the victims here the thing about davies is he was 26 when he died um it's just it's it's so terrible it, 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 it yes he was intellectually disabled mm. yes and um <clears throat> when they killed him they killed him in the caravan did right. you know that no i didn't know and that and there was blood from our solar breakfast okay it was completely fucked up. They then get rid of the body. When I say get rid of, they, they, you know, they don't ever really get rid of anyone because, as we know, they, they all turn up later. Yeah. But here's something a bit creepy. Mm-hmm. He and his uh, offsider 
bunting and, and uh, the offsider, what they do is they clean the caravan up, okay? And this is a little bit of a sad part of the story is that Ray Davies was never, ever reported missing. So imagine being in that 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 person in society that no one really ever missed you. You just kind of vanished. And what Bunting and his offsider did, they cleaned the caravan, they then towed it to another location, and within two months of the murder, they then sold the caravan. That's creepy, because someone bought that caravan. Yeah. And they went to a lot of trouble. They even repainted it. And, like, yeah. This is where things get... Look... I've tried to avoid graphic detail here because I don't believe it generally helps. But I'm going to read and sort of futz with the details mm. of an account that I read, Dad, that I mm. think is useful. So okay, the fact good. is, so first of all, Suzanne Allen's daughter, Annette, uh, is the mother to the to the you know grandkids we were talking about before. And hang on a sec. And Annette spent Christmas Day in 1995 with her mother and Davies. And the next day, her son claimed that Davies sexually assaulted him. Mm. And so at that point, and this is this is where it gets really kind of squirrely. So Annette and Alan and Suzanne Allen report this to the police. Yeah? Mm. And then after that, Annette sees Bunting and Suzanne cleaning out the caravan. Mm. Right? So there's at this point there's so, there's not just witnesses there's also a police report into mm. a potential crime involving this person. None of these strings get connected until much later. But here's what I really struggle with: the actual method of the murder of this murder is particularly hateful, I would say. Mm. So in 1995, Bunting owned up to James Lasakis that he had killed Davies. Okay. Mm. So at this point, I don't, and I think this is important, Bunting doesn't really have this crew yet. He's kind of operating solo. So Bunting tells Vlasakis that he's killed Ray Davies. Now, this whole group is extremely incestuous. I'm just going to read from this account, okay? Mm. All right. Bunting recounted how Vlasakis' own mother, Elizabeth Harvey, wife of John Bunting, had stabbed Davies in the leg just before their mutual friend Robert Wagner strangled the man to unconsciousness with jumper cables. Years later, in court testimony, Vlasaka stated that according to Bunting's story, Bunting and Wagner loaded Davies' unconscious form into the truck of a Holden Tirana. They drove 90 minutes to the northeast to a residence in the town of Bacara. They tossed Davies into a bathtub, and I'm not going to describe what they did there, but it is directed at a specific part of the body, which is just incredibly cruel mm. and then in 1999 Ray Davies body was found at the rear of the premises that had been previously occupied by Bunting the hole was filled in by Bunting and Wagner with bricks soil and concrete so it, so they're hiding the bodies at this mm. point yep. and, it, and, and this second body the body of Davies savaged as it was mm. was I mean it's interesting that the, they thought to drive him way 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 away from town to this place called Bacara to actually carry out the crime. Mm. Yeah. Didn't you say didn't you say it happened in the caravan? Um the, Which means that, does it does it mean they drove the caravan out? Well they did tow the caravan, but that was prior to when they sold it. Right. No, but they it stayed there until they cleaned it. 
Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. But they, okay. the murder took place. Okay? So that... Uh, what you're saying is they're actually torturing a uh, uh, a dead body. Well, no, I'm just reading from here. It says that they drove him. Oh, okay. He was still alive. To... Yeah. So they did. You know, they they. Yeah. Now the only reason I said, and that might sound weird to the listener, is oh, they tortured him when he was dead. Yeah. I know that sounds odd. Mm. I mean, is that torture? No, that's mutilation or desecration. But but we also know from from future victims hmm. that they did and committed all sorts of atrocities on deceased as well. That's true. We'll get to that later. But, hmm. Dad, just to be clear, they stabbed him and then strangled him to unconsciousness. If they did that in the caravan, that would explain why they cleaned the caravan up. Yeah, correct. Yep. Correct. Okay. Oh, yeah, because then they put him in the trunk of the Holden Tirana. Okay, great. So we've got a horrible picture here. Uh, honestly, Dad, at this point, we have so many victims to get through. I hate rushing through because I feel like we're not paying them their due respect. Agreed. But Agreed. I think we need to move on to victim number three, Michelle mm. Gardner. So the third victim is Michelle Gardner, a transgender woman who was killed by these absolute psychopaths. Michelle was living in the residence of Nicole Zarita, who's a cousin of Robert Wagner's wife. So it, as you pointed out last week, everybody who is killed is connected to these to these people, it's all it's all one big web, right? It, they didn't have to look mm. very far. Being openly transgender around these people is a death sentence, effectively. Oh, right? Without so, a doubt. Without a doubt. And so, what they did when they murdered mm. uh, Michelle is they put her in a barrel, but they she they couldn't close the lid. Did you know about that? So they actually removed her foot. So they could put the lid on properly. And I want the listeners to be sort of pay a little bit of attention to this particular case because this is a case where down the track, another person, another victim is inserted somehow or other into the same barrel as Michelle. That's just a fun fact to look forward to in the future. Okay, so the actual murder is a real problem. I mean, so Michelle Gardner was playing with Wagner's kids in the front yard and then something Michelle did made Wagner mad and then Bunting and Wagner grabbed Michelle, took her to Murray Bridge and then they strangled her 
And then every time she passed mm. out, they, they made her, st- they like woke her up and stood her up again and then kept strangling her. Mm. And then Fuck. they mm. staged a fake robbery at Michelle's home, uh, stealing belongings to kind of... Here's, here's part of my problem is no matter what sort of weird manifesto they had and whatever motives they claimed, they started claiming the welfare payments of a lot of these victims. Correct. Now, yeah. that started with Davies, mm. right? That started with Davies because Davies mm. was, you know, uh, was receiving welfare payments. So they started trying to make money off of these people, which kind of undermines whatever twisted thing they think they're doing because really they're, they're doing it to make money, right? Mm. Uh, so Michelle is put in a barrel, doesn't fit, so they remove her foot so that the drum can be closed. Right, so that was September the 10th, 1997. Mm. So they're already building up quite a list of people, but there's still a lot to go. The next victim was much older than the rest, and that's... This is interesting. This is very interesting. This is um, Barry Lane. Well, at this point, Barry Lane was Vanessa Lane, and as you said before, Vanessa Lane was being used to help build the web of people. Vanessa was, you know... Vanessa um, was one of the source primary sources of information for bunting to create the the web um lane was was so keyed in to the local community and one might say you know that side of this the community that was perhaps that let's say bunting actually focused on and in his eyes was somewhat you know depraved and uh the funny, not the funny thing, but the, the bizarre thing is that Bunting had had sort of gathered all this incredible information, and then at some point, so Lane was ultimately, um, you know, became a, a victim. But in this particular case, what they did is that they, and it's a really, really terribly unnerving thing that throughout the last, I guess, fifty or sixty years, some. Um, murderers, uh, serial killers, psychopaths have actually used recording devices. And in this particular case with Lane, they recorded Lane, who's, who, from what I can glean, was very upset in the recording, but they got Lane basically to say that um, he no longer wanted to see his mother, who obviously lived in that, that area, and he was moving to Queensland for for good. So, And another thing that Bunting and the crew used to do is that they would record the victims... And they would also, during torture, they would get information about, you know, all their bank details. And so prior to killing, they'd have this sort of, this recording of all the details they needed to then, you know, continue claiming benefits, knowing that they'd killed them, which is insidious as well. And they uh, they murdered Lane. The murder of Lane was... They the murder actually. of Lane was interesting because Lane had major issues with Clinton's murder. And Lane told her mother, and who just happened to be Bunting's ex-girlfriend, about it, right? Mm. Mm. So it seems like telling people in this circle that you have issues with things mm. is going to get you killed. So mm. Bunting finds out that Lane's been talking about his crimes, right? And mm. Bunting's also been using Lane to act as a kind of informant on the community mm. and bring him the names of people who he thought deserved to be killed. So on the 17th of October in 1997, Bunting, Wagner, Trevilian, they pick Lane up. 
Yeah. And then the next day, Lane's mum gets a call from her and Bunting makes Lane verbally abuse her mum. And Mm. the mum in the background can hear Trevelyan and also telling her what to say to her mum, right? Mm. God. And then they finish the call and they torture Lane at her fiancé's home because she's got a fiancé now. She's uh, shacked up with someone else and they torture her to get her bank details. And then they crush her toes with pliers and then they strangle her to death. And then they've got her car. So Bunting has her car, her vehicle, and her welfare payments again. And Lane is kept, you guessed it, in a barrel. In- but in the barrel sharing the space with the previous victim that they'd removed her foot. Yeah. I'm just thinking they remove a foot so they can put the lid on and then all of a sudden, I don't know how this works, Paul, but they then somehow or other, you know, have room somehow or other to put Lane in. And it's weird how they had those two... It's almost as though they had some unholy alliance in death in terms of Bunting's... I mean, I'm only sort of surmising here. I I, I don't want to get into his mind too much, but it's fucking creepy. And then... um. Between November 1997 or around about the 6th of November uh, was the next victim. The next victim was Thomas Eugenio Trevelyan. Do you find it Mm. interesting how all these people are connected? The the police are saying and and people from all over the world that that have specialised and and really delved deep into the whole thing about serial killers say that this is so bizarre because... All the victims were known within a community. And connected to the prior crimes. And I mean, we were just talking about Trevelyan in connection with Lane. But Tre- Trevelyan, Paul, he had psychiatric problems. Yeah, he was a paranoid schizophrenic, right? He thought he was a soldier, I think. He did, and he was, and he was kind of um, shared a house with Vanessa. He, um, he assisted in the killing yep. of Lane. Yep. This, is really, um, this is really, really upsetting, listeners. And I, I found this... Very upsetting because Thomas Trevelyan was, he definitely had psychological problems, okay? But what Bunting did, so he's assisted in the murder of his flatmate. He's suffering, and from what I can glean, and I don't want to touch on the film too much, but it's if the portrayal is, is, is um, accurate... Trevelyan was was very very disturbed but what they did to him is so bad and so perverse and so premeditated and so clever and this is why police investigate hangings so thoroughly because things are not always as they appear they took him out into the bush they got him to stand on a box They put a noose around his neck. They then kicked the box from underneath him where he would have hung until he died. But the thing is, he had a history of suicide attempts. So, Well, isn't that... That that makes it even more chilling and more clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, The assumption was, of course, they find him. They find him Mm. in Humbug Scrub, which is in the Adelaide Hills, Mm. near Kersbrook. And Mm. they've got his suicide attempts on record. So the coroner... 
rank, uh, deems it as a suicide. Mm. And it wasn't. Yeah. And it was just part of the um, a terrible, terrible litany of shit. Well, the next victim was... Hang on a second, here we go. Well, the next Gavin victim... Gavin Porter. Yeah, Gavin Porter. That's right, mm. Gavin Porter. Yeah. So the next victim is Gavin Porter, right? Mm. And yep. Porter was also a schizophrenic. And, mm. he'd and get, a junkie. Yep, he'd been in and out of institutions. Yep. And his mum died. Uh, and so he moved to Adelaide from Victoria in 97, mm-hmm. where he met Vlasakis and moved in and lived with Vlasakis. And both of them mm. were heroin addicts, right? Yep. But Paul, do you know why Bunting decided to kill Park Porter? No, I don't. Get ready for this. Talk about having the, the most insanely bizarre and obtuse excuse, but in this particular case, Bunting was accidentally jabbed by a syringe that had been left in the house by Porter. And based on that accidental jabbing, in other words, he'd walked into it, it was on the floor, or you know, it wasn't being held by Porter, he decided that he was a waste of space and no longer deserved to live. So he's, They're Bunting's words. So he stabs him in the hand with the screwdriver mm-hmm. and then he strangles him. So then Bunting shows Lasarkas Porter's body. So can you imagine being an addict and being mm-hmm. shown the dead body of a fellow addict? There's some sort of warning. And then Porter is put in a barrel. Mm-hmm. And then we're on to... Jesus, this is harrowing. Then we're on to the next victim. Mm. Troy Ude. Yes. Troy was 21 years old when he was yeah. killed. And he was the half-brother yeah. of Lasarkas. But this is very, very important. Troy yeah. had molested his half-brother and had been doing it for some time. And in the film, it's portrayed in a very graphic, terrible, terrible way, which I found very disturbing. So Vlasakis tells Bunting that this had happened in, you know, in previous years. And hey, presto, lights out for the half-brother. But he, this was particularly graphic. He was actually dismembered and, and, and put in a barrel. So Vlasakis kind of looked up to Bunting, yeah, as mm. a kind of father figure, which was why it was so easy for Bunting to turn Vlasakis into a, you know, serial murderer. Mm. And so mm. Troy is the half-brother of Vlasakis. Correct, yep. And... Vlasakis tells Bunting that Troy was molesting him. Correct. Right. So, so, so the, the, the four of them yeah. go into the house no, and the, he's asleep. Yeah. The half-brother's asleep. So Bunting, Wagner and Vlasakis go and they get Troy Ude while he's asleep. Correct? Yeah. Drag him from his bed. Yeah. And they put him in a bathtub where he's handcuffed. And mm. then as they're beating him, they get his... what You guessed it. They get his financial details. Right? Mm. Yeah. And then the weird part is they make him call them all kinds of things. They make Correct. like mm. God, sort of uh, like, like a deity. Yeah, it was very. And mm. and then again they they do the oh God, and then they go and they start using the pliers again. Mm. So, so they're torturing him, mm. and then they strangle him, and then they use this piece of software called SoundForge to record a message mm. from Yude. No. So then, Dad, this is pretty disturbing. In some of the cases we've dealt with in the Shadow Files, people who are about to be killed 
are forced to send, you know, voicemails or messages mm. to, you know, people of people who are still alive. Mm. Just so that they can kind of twist the facts. So they use a piece of software called SoundForge and they record Yud's voice so that they can play messages from him for victims to, you know, to say things like, oh, I'm going away for a while, you won't mm. see me, to, yeah, to smooth things yeah. over, right? Mm. So, God, do we go to the next victim? The next victim was Frederick Brooks, aged 18 years old. Intellectually disabled. Yeah. So at this point, it's 1998, right? Bunting is convinced that Brooks has been touching young girls and he starts telling his inner circle that something's going to have to happen. And that's a quote mm-hmm. to Brooks. So, September 1998, Brooks has been told that he's been accepted into the Air Force cadets, which he's really excited about. And he is invited to a party that night. But unfortunately for him, he's also been invited to join Bunting, Wagner and Vlasakis in a and e Now... Why he would accept going with them as opposed yep. to this... Anyway, that's, yeah. that was the last decision he ever made. They torture him in a bathtub. They, they handcuff him. They get his bank details. They put lit cigarettes in his ears. They... God, I'm not even going to read these next details because no. it's, it's just it's <clears throat> the most horrific, horrific torture. And again, mm. they get him to put his voice into the recording device, into this piece of software... They get his bank information. They make him confess that he's molested people under duress. They inject things into him. They electrocute him. They crush bits of his bodies. And then he just dies. He can't take the torture anymore. So they wrap him in plastic and they put him in the trunk of a car. And then they put him in a barrel. And he was found in the Snowtown vault. At this point, none of the barrels have been taken to the Snowtown vault. Correct. It's just, it's it's a far off idea at this point. Mm. There's only a few victims left, Dad, Mm. but we need to get to those next week. Cool. Because I'm I'm just, yeah. Oh, I look forward to a a breath of fresh air, a break between episodes. Because at this point, it's really interesting to me that. All of these crimes are pretty disparate. None of them have really come together yet in the same place. As we established last week, the barrels were found in the vault of the small, unassuming, unremarkable, and at this point, not yet infamous town of Snowtown. Next week, we're going to deal with the final victims, and we're going to talk about how Bunting and his crew decided to make Snowtown the location for the storage of these bodies, and what happened to Bunting and his crew afterwards. These episodes are extremely difficult for us to talk through. I can't imagine how hard they are for people connected to the crime. So we really thank you for sticking in here with us. We're trying to piece together things and we're trying to figure out why and how this happened. And we're trying to build a picture of what happens when one town becomes the focal point for murders that by and large weren't even committed there by people who weren't even from there. So thank you for listening to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. You're all very strong-stomached, and we really thank you for keeping us company. We will see you next week for another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files, but we will see you at the end of this week for a hopefully palate-cleansing episode of Loose Units, Loose Ends. Have a great week, everyone. Have Have a lie down, have a strong cup of tea, and we'll see you soon. All right, all the best. Cheers, bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.